And in some of the stores, they've been up since after Labor Day. I did notice there was a, a, a significant shift in the number of people who are now ready or getting ready for the Christmas season. So with no surprise, for the month of December, today in the month of December, I will be focusing on themes that touch on that. We are now off and running. The shopping has begun. The get-togethers have begun. The planning has begun. And I think more importantly, so many people look, sadly, only to this season for the hoping trying to find hope in different areas where they may not have found it anyplace else. And as a, as a people, we've gone through so much in the past two years. Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all, should be, that all the world should be registered. This census took place while Canarius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room at the inn. I'm going to be speaking on different ways that you and I can have an impact in our world throughout this Christmas season. And I want to talk about today, Christmas time, as a time to touch our neighbors. And by neighbors, I don't mean just those that live next to us, all those that are around us. It just seems there's something about Christmas that touches people. It changes people and even excites them. Perhaps it's the idea of a season of goodwill or a season of generosity or perhaps a season where we seem to focus more on relationships than we do other times of the year. So what is it about this season that moves people to celebrate? Sadly, most in the world haven't a clue as to what the real meaning of Christmas is, what the real story is. The true story of Christmas is becoming less and less a part of even our cultural background. It's easy to miss the important aspects of what Christmas really is. Most people think Christmas is about gifts and decorations and parties. And unfortunately, there are those that are just so out of touch with the reality of the season that it's left to the tangible. Some don't even want to know the truth. They want to stick to things that they can touch and, and deal with in the tangible realm. They would prefer that all what they would call the religious aspects of this season would be removed. Well, let me make that clear. We're not going to do that here. 
Jesus has touched our lives. He has changed each of us in profound ways. And we will never be the same. And that touch is so powerful that unlike for many in the Christmas season, this touch will last well beyond January. We want to see others touched in this same way. We want to see Jesus become a reality for them in their lives and not just a season that we celebrate. So I want to explore a different aspect of this season and how it touches us and how the Lord can use you and me to touch others. So my theme for today is touching your neighbors. Christmas is a time to make room. This story has three stages to it that we read in Luke chapter 2. And these stages encourage us to share Jesus by making room in our lives for other people. So let's first look at the history that is demonstrated by this passage. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. We need to realize that was a big area. It was time to be counted. This was not in the usual sense of about standing up so I can be counted. This was a literal counting of all the people in the Roman Empire. And Luke gives us a sense that the Lord's birth is in a real place and in a real time during this event. Life is happening as usual. And according to Caesar Augustus, it was time to take account. Every family was to return to their hometown for a worldwide census. Now, the Roman Empire did this for one reason and one reason only, a word all of us love to say every April, taxes. The census was used as a tax roll. So they wanted to see how much more they could get out of the people by counting them. A role Roman that Rome could chew on to nourish their greedy appetite. So the first Christmas season has as a backdrop a process and this census that was prompted by greed. Not much has changed. For many, the success of Christmas is measured in retail sales. For many, the success of Christmas, even on a personal level, when people gather in January to talk about their Christmas season, it's with this material mindset, how did you do? How did you make out? What did you get? There is so much more to Christmas. There is so much more to Jesus coming into this world than what did I get under the tree? But they look at these things because that's what touches people. And it has throughout history. We who have been touched by Jesus, you and I who have been touched by the true meaning of Christmas, need to be different. So there's this background to the first Christmas. And it must not be the background to our Christmas celebrations. Not greed, certainly not taxes. But it's about Jesus. Something was happening in Bethlehem on this day at this time. So the first stage that this passage shows us 
is about this historical background about Caesar Augustus, who was the Caesar in the Roman Empire until about when Jesus was the age of 14, calls for a census. He wanted more money. So everybody had to return to their hometown, which is the second stage. Everyone went to his hometown, his town of origin, to register. So Joseph went up at the moment he's in Nazareth in Galilee of Judea, of, of Judea and needs to go to Bethlehem. Now, we don't normally understand where these locations are. Those two places are about 90 miles apart. Just to be counted, he's got to travel 90 miles, and he could not just open up his phone and call Uber. He went there because in Bethlehem was his home down because, as the scripture says, he was of the lineage and the line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, whom he was pledged to be married to, and she was expecting a child. I submit that this holiday season, any holiday season, any Christmas time, one of the things that we need to think about is it's a time to go home. Now, this really wasn't Joseph's home. He had established a life for himself in Nazareth. But it was the home of his family. And again, he had to travel 90 miles to get there, which would take about three to four days. And on top of it taking three to four days, normally he was traveling with someone who happened to be eight and a half months pregnant, which made the journey a little longer. It was presumed, although the scriptures aren't clear, it was presumed that she was riding on a donkey. So this is going to be a very long, very dangerous, and very strenuous journey. But Joseph was determined that it was worth it to be back in his hometown. It was determined there was value to be back with his people. It was determined in him this was important. Our culture, our world, has literally launched an attack against the family. For them, the family gets redefined into whatever they want to make the family to be. But from the church's perspective, the family is the center of things. It's where the gospel should be preached first. It's where um, people should learn how to pray first and read the scriptures first. The family is where the gospel gets its power. Any time of season, um, any time of year, any season from my perspective that promotes the family, especially the family the way the Bible says the family, which is the only real definition of the family, is a good thing. It's also not only a time to go home, but it's a time to get some rest. This is probably the most maddening time of year, isn't it? So many things to do. Whose idea was it that we, in the month of December, try to cram 16 months of activities into 30 days? When they arrived in Bethlehem, unfortunately for Mary and Joseph, the Motel 6 had difficulty leaving the light on. So many people were coming into Jerusalem for the exact same reason. 
and Mary and Joseph needed a place to stay. They needed a warm bed and something to eat. But all they saw on the road as they traveled were no vacancy signs. And this must have added to the physical exhaustion. A place to rest. You and I are going to encounter so many people this Christmas season who need a place to rest. We can touch other people this season by being in relationship with them, being a place to rest. How many know people in your own life, and please don't look around, but how many people know people in your own life who when you're with them, it's hard work? We all know people. You're thinking of people right now. Hopefully none of you are thinking of me, but we're all thinking of people right now that when you're with them, the last thing on your mind is rest. It's work. It's exhausting. You're glad when you see them. You're glad when they go. And when they do, you sit in a chair, you exhale, and you say, now I can rest. That's not what we need to be. We need to be, through the power of the gospel, a place where people can come and find rest. They face enough rejection in the world. They face enough no vacancy signs, especially, oddly enough, at this time of year. Ever been at a company party or some type of family party and it's crowded with people, and yet you feel alone? There's more than enough disappointment, more than enough people who have no place to call home. And that's where you and I, through the power that Jesus gives us, can make a place where people can rest. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse, 9, verse 10 says, And each one has received a gift, minister to one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Each one of us has been given a gift. So many gifts. And we're called to be good stewards of those gifts, which means we don't just take care of them, we use them wisely, which means we employ them in sharing with others. So let's remove the no vacancy signs this year. I want everybody who can to come to that party on the 17th. I would love to be able at this point to tell Plaza Margarita, you need to shut the place down for the night because Calvary Church of God is coming in. I want you to invite your friends and invite anyone you'd like to because we want people to find a place, a place where they can rest. We want to be able to shock them at how good and wonderful and wholesome and pleasant and joyful a time they can have without any alcohol being served. Someone say amen to that. So let's remove the no vacancy signs. Let's let people rest. Let's remove the closed circles that keep people out. Let's be places where others can find rest. Isn't that what Jesus did for you and me? He gave us a place where we could rest. My yoke is easy, he said, and my burden is light. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you work. No, it's not what it says. It doesn't say work. I will give you rest. 
and not just rest on the outside, but rest for your soul. So we have this first look which places the events of the first Christmas in history. And then it moves from the decree that Caesar Augustus made to the hometown of Joseph, which is the city of David, Bethlehem. And this third aspect of it is a word we use a lot in our culture today, but I'm really convinced people don't get the deeper meaning of it, and that's hospitality. While they were there, the time came for a baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Christmas is a time to give birth. Ladies, don't get all crazy on me now. Please let me explain what I mean by that. Can you imagine what it was like for Mary and Joseph? As they arrived and found out that this was the night, this was no time to have a baby. There was no support system. There were no friends, no family. They were as close to alone as you could imagine. And this was a very new relationship, a new marriage. They were betrothed to each other. Joseph was not versed in the things that would need to be done. Because you and I like to be ready for things, don't we? We like to be in control. We like to be able to plan and be prepared. We like the entertaining part. We love to entertain as long as we can do it in a controlled way. We like to have everything planned out. But when it comes to biblical hospitality, biblical hospitality is not about what you've prepared. It's about what we give. It's not about always being able to prepare. It's about seeing someone in need, seeing who someone needs a friend, and just on that moment, I'm here for you. Romans chapter 12, verse 13 says, Share with the Lord's people who are in need, reading from the New International Version. Practice hospitality. Hospitality is not just something you have. It's something we practice. In this, we give birth in the Christmas season to new relationships. We give new life into other people. We give them some reason to hope, some reason to look forward to waking up in the morning. People want to feel included. People want to feel loved. So I'm encouraging each one of you to give birth this season. Because not only is it a time to give birth, it's a time for compassion. I want to talk about the innkeeper for a moment. Now there is no specific person of the innkeeper mentioned. It just says that there was no room at the inn. But we presume there was an innkeeper. Why? Because there was an inn. He's also been portrayed, and I've seen so many different ways he's been portrayed, but two primary ways. As this insensitive, mean-spirited villain who couldn't find him in his heart, some mean old, grumpy old man, or some sensitive, gentle hero who's kind-hearted, who found something for Mary and Joseph. 
we really don't have any idea what the background at this point is. So you know what? I'm going to go to the positive. Because that's what I think we as Christians need to do more often anyway. He certainly could have ignored the whole situation. Sorry, I got nothing for you. Bye. Instead, what he did, he found something. He was obviously busy with a full end, but he makes an effort. And that's what I want to encourage us to do. In our busy lives that are just going to now get even busier, let's make an effort to include others, to let other people know that there's room for them, that there's room for them in our lives, there's room for them in our schedules, there's room for them in our hearts. It's his busy time, but he makes time. It's his busy time, and he makes room. Find something. He saw a need, and he acted. And what amazes me is that he acted even though what he had wasn't the best to offer. You know, we have this mindset, and it's an American cultural thing, that unless I can give you my best, my top, I'm not going to give it all. Please find me where that is in Scripture. I give from what I have. I give whatever I have. Yes, we strive to give our best. We strive to give an excellence. We strive to do all that we possibly can to put others before us. But when all I have is what's left, I share that as well. We need to believe the same verse that the innkeeper obviously believed. In Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17, he who has pity or kindness on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what has been given. I'll be perfectly honest with you. There are a lot of people in this world I won't lend money to. A lot of people, I just won't, because it's a dangerous thing to do. It introduces another aspect into the relationship that can be challenging. But you know what? I'll lend to God all the time, because I know he's good for it. He pays, and it says when we do something for others, when we extend kindness, we're lending to God. What we do in other, in, for others, in essence, is a kindness done to Jesus. When we give of ourselves to people in need, and not just the physical needs, but even emotional needs. There may be those in our families who have really, really drifted, who have really, really gone off the rails, who have just embraced really strange and unhealthy mindsets. And because of that, they've said things and done things that are cruel and hurtful. But now is the time to say, I, even in your case, I've got room for you. We can do this. Christmas is a time to make room for others, like the innkeeper made room for Mary and Joseph. This is the season where people are the most gift conscious. They say it's a season of giving. But it really is, for most people, a season of exchanging. Pastor, what do you mean? So glad you asked. 
You ever gone someplace or gone to a Christmas gathering or some type of celebration this time of year over the past years, and someone out of the blue gave you a gift? Now, let's be honest. One of the emotions we feel right away is, but I didn't get anything for you. My question is, why does that matter? Why is whether or not this can be a gift exchange? Why does that even enter into the gift giving part of the season? So it's only a gift if I can give something back. That's not a gift. That's an exchange. This is the season when we need to be conscious about a gift. And if someone's going to give a gift, then someone needs to receive the gift. And I've had, I've mentioned this concept before. We're going to practice those two words again. Say them with me. Thank you. See? No one's heart rate jumped. Your blood pressure didn't go off the scale. No body parts fell off. Simply say thank you. Someone extends themselves to give you a gift. Thank you. Oh, but I didn't get anything for you. Why does that even matter? Why is this season characterized by busyness and exhaustion and this confusion about gifts? That's where we come in. Because so many people at Christmas time suffer. They suffer depression. Many abuse alcohol and other substances. Many deal with systemic and long-term chronic disappointment in their lives. Many deal with issues in their relationships. And some are just plain skeptics. They believe that people are only being nice because it's the month of December, that they'll go back to being mean, rotten, and nasty come January. And for the most part, they're right. This is the season where we need to remember that you and I, as Jesus said, are light and salt. Let God use you and me to touch others. Let God use you and me in this holiday season to make room for someone. Make room for others. As the innkeeper found a place for Mary, Joseph, and ultimately Jesus. Let's find an even better place. Make room for Jesus in your heart and then allow him to extend your heart to others. Make room for others. Open our hearts and lives in genuine friendship to see the need of those around us, around the street, around your block, in school or in offices. And ask the Lord, Jesus, make me sensitive, especially at this time of year. Give me wisdom and courage to walk the talk. Make room for others. Let's touch them with the love of God. Isn't that what Christmas is all about? God coming into the world because you and I needed a savior. Because you and I were lost in our sins. Because you and I needed redemption. And that redemption story began in a manger. A filthy, dirty manger. Now, I've seen most mangers in nativity scenes. They're clean. They're nice. They're kind of shiny. 
that's nothing like the manger that Jesus was laid in as a baby. It was a manger that animals had just been eating out of. And yet it held the son of God, the king of the universe. The innkeeper made room from whatever he had. Let's extend ourselves this Christmas season to make room for others. Stand with me, please.